Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast, which comes out with my email newsletter via the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is for paying subscribers. I typically put out around five of these a week. And today I wanted to focus on climate change in particular and how our government and our councils are not grasping the nettle of planning for climate retreat in particular and thinking about how to fund it and how to do it in a fair, consistent and hopefully preconceived way. The news today is that Auckland Council has apparently agreed to a 50-50 cost-sharing deal with the government to buy out land which is now deemed unlivable, particularly in West Auckland, because of flooding and sea level rise in the wake of cyclones Hale and Gabrielle in January and February. There's about a a billion dollars worth of land which the council and the government have agreed to buy back so that people can get on with their lives after finding out that their homes are going to be continually flooded uh, or the land itself is no longer stable. And the council, according to the Herald in a report this morning, is uh, about to agree to this deal, which would mean over a billion dollars will be spent by the council and something similar by the government to uh, both buy back the land and carry out other repairs. Now, the reason this is interesting, because this is the biggest of these cost-sharing deals to be done. There was one done a few weeks ago with the councils on the east coast of the North Island. But it really is something that's being done on the fly, ad hoc, without any real consideration of how sustainable it is, uh, whether it's fair, and whether it really addresses the issues as we head towards a two, three, four degrees increase in temperatures towards the end of the century. And today in the email, I talk about the sorts of issues that need to be settled and the ones that should have been settled in a Climate Adaptation Act. Just in the last couple of weeks, the government has effectively kicked into touch the thorny issues of who will pay for climate retreat, how uh, we'll pay, whether or not the uh, net debt limits set by the government and um, uh, imposed on councils allow a proper response to more of these extreme climate events. And uh, I've asked in the email about uh, how we think about this. I point to a couple of reports. Um, Firstly, um, the report in the Herald uh, and uh, what a a landowner who's expecting a buyout is expecting. Uh, She's expecting better than CV for the land and says that's her main concern. Uh, It does beg the question though, at what point does the moral hazard kick in? When, when When should people be responsible for their own actions? And how do you avoid, for example, insurers offloading their risks or uh, um, those people who have been skeptical about the effects of climate change or ignorant about it and bought in expecting that they would be bailed out by other taxpayers if there was ever an issue. 
you could argue it's still quite early and some people could legitimately claim to be unaware of climate change, not know where to check the maps before they buy, and that insurers uh, who perhaps should have uh, refused to insure or increased premia in previous years are now learning. However, what we are discovering is that systematically insurers and banks have underestimated the potential damage from rising uh, temperatures and that remains the case. And uh, it's a warning, I think, for those people who are buying homes to know that at the moment there is not any sort of consistent way of dealing with the effects of these uh, disasters and that really you're on your own with insurers at the moment and it's a, a, a power fight effectively about whether or not you can lobby to get your land brought back and the question of intergenerational fairness and the sustainability of this of on national balance sheets is just not being considered mainly because these questions about who should pay and how are really gnarly and the sorts of things that um, stop people from getting re-elected or stop people from getting elected. Right, a couple of other stories that I think are worth having a look at today. Business Desk have an excellent piece, uh, a piece of data journalism, looking at how much of the stuff that we think is being recycled is actually being recycled uh, onshore. And it turns out, um, particularly plastics, steel, mixed paper and cardboard are almost half of which going uh, overseas, put on, put on a ship. And, and then we have to hope that it's actually being recycled and not just dumped. Uh, um, which begs the question, why aren't we recycling more of that at home? Uh, elsewhere today, we've got, we had some numbers yesterday from StatsNZ on retail sales per capita per capita and uh, for volumes in the June quarter showing that New Zealanders are cooling their jets and that uh, we're actually to the point now where real retail sales per capita are back below where they were pre-COVID. Now another big story that's breaking in the last day or so has come out of stuff from Steve Kilgallen. He has gotten access to some Immigration NZ whistleblowers who have in unknown certain terms uh, said that the accredited employer work visa scheme was designed to be uh, um, very easy to abuse from the start and that uh, the uh, officials directed uh, um, those people administering the scheme to just let everyone through. And that's why we have massive uh, a fraud on temporary migrants and the sort of abuse that the new system was designed to stop instead it has encouraged it. Uh, I'd also like to point out a story from Ethan Toora in today's post about the system we have for social housing and the way the Labour government has has really chosen the interests of landowners and uh, uh, over the interests of tenants. So this one's been bubbling away for quite some time. You might recall that Wellington Council has or had a whole bunch of flats in Wellington 
for social housing. There was a time when councils used to provide lots of so-called pensioner flats. In some places, they've been sold off. In some places, they're retained. In some places, they've been uh, handed over to trusts and charities to run. One of the reasons uh, councils have been keen to get out is because they're increasingly expensive to run. It effectively means that council is providing some of the social safety net, which councils view as a responsibility of government. So you get a nice little turf battle there. And uh, the government is, um, of the Labour government, is very reluctant to expand the income-related rent subsidy scheme, uh, which helps fund the, um, the rents that our social housing tenants have to pay. At the moment, if you're with Kainga Ora, uh, you don't have to pay more than 25% of your income. And uh, effectively, the government pays Kainga Ora the balance uh, between the market rent and the 25% of income. But councils uh, don't have access to that income-related rent subsidy, uh, certainly not when Labour has been in power. The previous national government did make that income-related rent subsidy available to charities, and we saw the Christchurch Council effectively hand over its uh, pensioner flats to a trust who were then able to get access to that subsidy from the government. The government has chosen, in the Wellington case, not to extend the income-related rent subsidy to those tenants in Wellington at a projected cost of $13.2 million. The result is the new trust that has the uh, uh, flats in Wellington is now rapidly going around putting up rents and has found a way to get around the restriction on uh, not putting up rents by more than $20 a week. We see in a report, this report today, the guts of it is that a Labour government, which has bragged about its um, ability to build lots more social houses, has chosen not to spend $13.2 million on subsidising rents for incredibly vulnerable people. And it's done that because it has chosen to have a budget deficit that is $13.2 million smaller than would otherwise be the case, and that it would borrow $13.2 million less than would otherwise be the case. And that results in a tiny, tiny fraction of a basis point less in the base for interest rates in New Zealand. Effectively, the government is choosing the interests of landowners and homeowners over the interests of vulnerable tenants. This is a Labour government. Uh, so I think that's worth noting. Uh, I'd also uh, point out uh, today a good chart of the day. Well, not a good one, but it's a, it's a chart of the day showing what appears to be uh, one of the tipping points in the Arctic Ocean uh, around climate change and the feedback loops that worsen climate change. Uh, one of those tipping points being tipped. Essentially, uh, the Arctic has been covered by ice for much of the year for a long time but as that ice melts the sun has full access to warm the ocean underneath and we've seen the uh, extent of the ice coverage in the arctic fall dramatically in recent years the, one of the concerns is that after you warm up the arctic ocean some of that warm water uh, finds its way down to the seafloor 
and disturbs some of the methane which is currently sitting on the seafloor and means that it is it starts to escape into the atmosphere. We know, of course, that methane is a much more potent climate change uh, gas than carbon dioxide, and so the last thing you want is lots of methane escaping into the atmosphere. And the chart today shows significant spikes in methane releases from below the Arctic Ocean. So uh, that's worth looking at. And if you think, uh, well, this probably doesn't affect us, I include a couple of maps of how climate change is affecting global shipping movements. For example, droughts around the Panama Canal has lowered the level of the canal and it means that you can only have so many ships go through it at one time. It means there's uh, nearly 200 ships waiting to get through the Panama Canal that in some cases they're having to wait up to two to three weeks to get through because there's big queues and uh, that of course just increases the cost and uh, difficulty of moving things around the world and overnight in Turkey uh, Turkey has just closed the Dardanelles now for those of you who are not into your World War One history the Dardanelles are a tiny thin strip of water in between the Black Sea and the Aegean Sea. It's one of those crucial shipping lanes in the global trading system. And that has just been closed, the Dardanelles Straits, because of uh, wildfires on uh, one side of the straits and the need for uh, helicopters to be able to dump water on them. So uh, drought and wildfire shutting down two of the world's main choke points in global shipping systems. I'm Bernard Hickey. I hope that wasn't too intense. Uh, I do have a, ch a cartoon of the day at the bottom of the email today, so I hope you enjoy that. Ka kite anō.